Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. And it says in verse 6, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And this phrase is sort of like the refrain throughout the book of Judges. You hear this phrase again and again, again and again. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what's right in their own eyes. And that's a society that's headed for disaster. Today on Truth in Christ, the repeated word in the scripture says, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This refers to the radical individualism that marked the time of the judges. People looked to self for their guide to morality and ethics. The people genuinely felt that they did what was right, but they measured it only by their own eyes. This is very much like the modern, let your heart be your guide thinking. Modern culture regards this as the ideal state of society. Yet the Bible and common sense tell us that this kind of moral, spiritual, and social anarchy brings nothing but destruction. Now let's join Pastor Rob. I hate to say this, but it, but it's so true, and it fits what we're talking about. He had more of an influence on me. He was a very materialistic t- kind of guy. And that materialism rubbed off on me, and I was the one that's supposed to be influencing him, not the other way around. But funny how that happens, isn't it? Even as a believer, when we take company with people who are involved in certain things, they make it look so cool. They make it look so right. It it feels so good. It feels so right. But it can be deadly. And there came a point where the Lord told me I had to stop hanging out with him. He literally spoke to me and just says, you need to stop hanging out with him because you're not doing him any good. He's actually having a, a, a more of an effect on you. But notice in verse 5, so the man Micah, notice he had a shrine. Does this sound like something that a man should have? An Ephraimite at the, at the least? He's got a shrine? And he made an ephod and household idols? These idols are teraphim where they would sculpt these little images, sculpt out of wood or out of metal, little images in the shape of people or in the shape of some kind of idol, some kind of deity of the land, and they would bow down and worship these things, which we know wasn't good. So he shouldn't have made a shrine and a place of worship, because the place of worship at that time was where? It was in Shiloh, right? Back in Joshua chapter 18, when they came out of the out of the desert wanderings as they were coming into the promised land. In Joshua 18, they set up the tabernacle, and it was there until David brought it, the ark into Jerusalem and, and, the, and the tabernacle, and he made a new tabernacle for it. 
but the the place of worship was in Shiloh, and it was in the land or in the tribe of Ephraim. It wasn't probably that far away from them, but yet they wanted something new. They wanted something new, and on top of that, this man made his son, who was also an Ephraimite, gave him a uh, made him a priest. And the priests weren't supposed to be Ephraimites; they were supposed to be Levites, and only a specific family of the Levites, the Kohathites from Kohath, where. Moses and Aaron came from, and his sons, they came from a specific line. They all had their roles, the Gershonites and the Merarites. They all had their roles in the temple, but the priests themselves were the sons of Aaron and Moses, and they were the ones who were supposed to do the sacrifices and deal with the Holy of Holies and all those things. So these were teraphim. And the first time we see this in the Scripture, it's kind of interesting. We go all the way back to Genesis chapter 31, And you recall that after Jacob had worked for 14 years for two wives, he originally wanted Rachel, the one that he saw that he loved. But Laban, her father, pulled a switcheroo on him on the wedding night, remember? He must have had a little too much wine. He woke up in the morning, and behold, it's Leah. That's kind of a disturbing thing to wake up to, to realize you got the wrong sister. Hopefully they looked alike. Because uh, I hate to think that he was not that much aware. But notice when finally he has to work for Laban for another seven years for the one that he loves, Rachel. And then there came a time when it says in Genesis 31 verse 17 that Jacob rose and he set his sons and his wives on camels. And he carried away all of his livestock, all his possessions, which he had gained and his acquired livestock, which he had gained in Padan Aram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household teraphim, the household idols that were her father's. So here, his, his wife, the woman that he really loved more than anything, finally worked 14 years, finally got her. He's ready to take off, and she takes all the household idols and stuffs them under her, uh, under her camel. But these are the teraphim that we're talking about. The same thing that we see in verse 5 here in chapter 17. And it's interesting, and if you go to the Israel Museum today in Jerusalem, they have a bunch of these on display. You can actually see them. They look like little deities. And for some reason, it always seems to, um, these idols seem, that there's an exaggeration on the sex of the idol for some reason. So there's always a magnification of the sex of the idol that they're worshiping. And they find them all the time. I heard of a young Israeli kid was digging in the yard just last year, I think, and found a teraphim in the yard. You know, and that's just, you dig in Israel and you find all kinds of stuff. Crazy. It's not like here you dig far enough and you find a bottle cap from 1957. You know, but over there you're digging and you find really interesting things. So notice that the man Micah, verse 5, he had a shrine. He had made an ephod, which was a very priestly garment. He had household idols or teraphim. And he consecrated one of his sons, which we know was not a right thing to do because only the Aaron's sons were to be consecrated. And it says in verse 6, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And this phrase is sort of like the refrain throughout the book of Judges. You hear this phrase again and again, again and again. In those days there was no king in Israel. 
Everyone did what's right in their own eyes, and that's a society that's headed for disaster. Whenever we do what's right in our own eyes, there is bound to be conflict. There is bound to be trouble, and we see that happening in our own culture today. When we fail to be obedient to the laws and the things that are placed before us, and we decide to do something different, what results? What is always the result? Chaos. And what are we seeing on television? We're seeing chaos. It's because of the rebelliousness of man. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Well, I feel this way. Well, you know what? It doesn't matter what you feel. There's a lot of things. When I'm, when I'm driving my car and I feel like um, I'm not going the speed limit, or I feel like I'm going the speed limit, and I look down and I'm going 25 miles over the speed limit, and a, and a police officer pulls me over, he's going to say, uh, you were doing uh, 55 and a 30. What do you have to say about that? And I'll say, I, I, I didn't feel that. And he would probably go, well, it doesn't matter what you feel because you're getting a really large ticket. Points on your license. You're going to be going to that school for, you know, to get the, you know, your points off your license. It doesn't matter how I feel about things. I must be obedient. And I must submit myself to the authority that God has placed over us. The only time we are to say no is when it goes against the law of God, when it goes against his, his, his law. And you know what? It takes a, a government, a, a really bad place. They have to be in a really bad place for them to make us do something where it's against the law. But we have the right at that point, like Peter and Paul, or Peter and um, John, as they stood before the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you judge what's, rather what's right, to do what's right in the sight of God or to obey you. you know, they were preaching the gospel. They wanted to shut them up. We ought to obey God rather than to obey man. In that regard, they were right. If they were hurting people, they better stop. But they weren't. They weren't hurting anybody. But notice verse 7. Now, there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah of the family of Judah. He was a Levite. He was staying uh, and was staying there. And the man departed from the city of Bethlehem. This is kind of interesting because he's a Levite, but he's in Judah. He's living in Judah, and he's living in Bethlehem. And the man departed from the city of Bethlehem in Judah to stay where he could find a place. And then he came to the mountains of Ephraim to the house of Micah, this, this man who was now compromised, and as he journeyed. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I am on my way to find a place to stay. And you know, it makes you wonder, why didn't he stay? Why didn't he get involved in the tabernacle? You know, what was going on in the tabernacle at that time? We don't really know too much, but if it's indicative of everything else that was going on in that time, perhaps the priesthood in Shiloh became so corrupt um, at this time that there was, not, there was only a handful of them there serving. Maybe they didn't want anybody to be a part of the group. Maybe they were happy. There's a group of them, and they're like, you know, you can't come in. You know, you know what that's like, having a click, and nobody wants you in. Could it have been that? It could have been. Was he not welcome? Maybe the minister or the ministry at the tabernacle was doing well and he had a more progressive worldview. Maybe it was doing just fine, but he wanted to expand. He wanted things to be more progressive. He wanted to be more inclusive. After all, Christianity is so confining and limiting, isn't it? The narrow road, narrow path. Ah, but anyone's available. anyone has the ability to be on that narrow path, but that's the way God is. Straight is the gate, narrow is the path that leads to life. 
Solomon said it right. There's nothing new under the sun. So verse 10, Micah said to him, dwell with me and be a father and a priest to me. This phrase father is really just a, a, a word of honor. He really wasn't older than the man Micah. He was actually younger, but it was just a term of honor to this man. So Micah said to him, dwell with me and be a father and a priest to me, and I will give you 10 shekels of silver per year, a suit of clothes in your substance. And so the Levite went in. And then the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became like one of his own sons to him. And so Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. Unfortunate now, we got this Levite now who is living a life of apostasy, really, abandoning his roots, abandoning the law of God. And now he's, uh, he seems to be very comfortable going into a house of a man, uh, an Ephraimite, and uh, being his priest to a bunch of false idols. He knows what he's doing, but doesn't seem to be too concerned about it. And remember, the tabernacle at that time was in Shiloh, not too far away. Not too far away. What happened? Then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will be good to me since I have a Levite as a priest. You know what he was treating that Levite like? Like a lucky charm. I've got this Levite. I got a Levite. So what that I'm worshiping, you know, this pile of mush, or, you know, I'm worshiping this piece of wood, but I got a Levite, man. I got a Levite. Things have got to be good. God's got to bless. It's like a, it's like a, a, a rabbit's foot in your, in your pocket. Man, I'm in a lucky, man, shiny nickel. I got a buffalo nickel in my pocket. Nothing can happen to me now. Operating on superstition, presuming upon God. And he viewed the Levite being with him as God condoning what he was doing. Isn't that funny how people do that? You can make anything spiritual. You can say to yourself, well, I need that new Bentley. I need to buy that new Bentley in Beverly Hills. You know why, Lord? Because, sure, I'm going to sell my father's inheritance, and I'm going to sell my mother's inheritance. You know, they're living with me now. They're very elderly. They won't know the difference. I've already got the money. So I'm just going to buy the Bentley because I can take people to church with this Bentley. And I know that that pleases you, Lord, for me to pick up these people in style, too. Nothing like the king, right? Children of the king. Right, and they justify it. I'm going to buy this Bentley, really. And God's going, um, you mean the, uh, the Ford Explorer that you have that's a 2021 is not good enough? No, the Bentley, even though it only sits two people, you still want to do that? It doesn't really sit. I have no idea. I've never seen one. Uh, actually, I probably have, but I don't know what it is, but it doesn't matter. So anyway, so he was treating this Levite like some kind of lucky charm. And then we get into verse 18, and it says, In those days, again, notice, circle it. (laughs) In those days, there was no king in Israel. And in those days, the tribe of the Danites was seeking an inheritance for itself to dwell in. For until that day, their inheritance among the tribes of Israel had not fallen to them. Now, this does not mean that they did not have a parcel of land, but rather they didn't drive out the inhabitants of the land like they should have, and they weren't happy with the land that they were given. It was a small parcel of land, but they were given it. And I almost wonder if the Lord gave them that as a test to see what they would do. And God told them, when you get into the land, finish off the um, going against the inhabitants that are in the land. Destroy them. Because they, I gave them time to repent, and now it's time for judgment. I'm going to allow you to dispossess the land. When you get into these different tribes, go in and take care of business. That was God's business. That wasn't murder. That was 
God's business. Do you know the difference? Sin was the problem. Unrepented of sin for hundreds of years. That's the problem. So, this does not mean that they didn't receive a lamb, but they didn't drive them out. In fact, what does it say in Joshua chapter 19? Let me just, you can read it. It says, the seventh lot, this is when Jer- or, um, Joshua and the elders of Israel were partitioning out the land after they had come into the land after crossing the Jordan. It says, the seventh lot came out from the tribe of the children of Dan according to their families, and the territory of their inheritance was Zorah, Eshtaol, Ilar Shemesh, Shalalabin, Ajalon, Jethla, Elon, Timna, Ekron, Etika, Gibbethon, Bealeth, Jehud, Bene Barak, Gathrimon, Majarkon, and Rakhon, with the region near Joppa, and the water and the border of the children of Dan went beyond these. So he gave them this land because and then the land went beyond this because the children of Dan went up, and we're going to see that. They went up to the northern part of Israel to fight against Leshem, which is uh, a distance away uh, from the Lake Hula, which is far above the uh, Sea of Galilee. It's actually near the border of Lebanon and Syria, uh, a place that is now called Tel Dan. So they went up there and they took it and they struck it with the edge of the sword, took possession of it, dwelt in it, and they called Leshem Dan after the name of Dan their father. And this is the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Dan, according to their families, these cities with their villages. And so for whatever reason, whether by cowardice or just being disobedient, the Danites did not drive out, again, the inhabitants. Um, Something interesting in Judges chapter 1, it says this. If you read the whole chapter of Judges chapter 1, it talks about, again, these parcels of land that they were supposed to go in, and they were supposed to eradicate the enemy. But each one, one after another... It says, in the tribe of Asher, they didn't drive out the inhabitants. The tribe of Benjamin, they didn't drive out the inhabitants. The list goes on, and every single one of them didn't do what God asked them to do. And finally, in Judges one thirty four, it says, And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountains, for they would not allow them to come down to the valley. And the Amorites were determined to dwell in Mount Herez, in Ajalon, and in Shealbim. Yet, when the strength of the house of Joseph became greater, they were put under tribute. And so, the Danites, now that they've inhabited this small piece of land, um, they, they couldn't go down into the valley because the, um, the, other, um, the Amorites were there. And so, they got frustrated, and they thought to themselves, instead of um, praying to God and asking for God for direction, they decided, you know what, we're just going to go conquer some more land. God didn't tell them to do it. But they got frustrated, decided, we're going to do this. What a great idea. You know, that's a great idea. Let's just go ransack some other place and kill everybody and take their land. What a wonderful plan. So the children of Dan, verse 2, sent five men of their family from their territory, men of valor from Zorah and Eshtaol. Remember, these are the, this is the place where Samson was born, this area, same area to spy out the land and search it. And they said to them, go search the land. So they went to the mountains of Ephraim. So they're on their way going from south or the middle of the country, going up north, and they're going through the mountains of Ephraim. So they stop at Micah's house, and they lodge there. And so while they're at the house of Micah, they recognize the voice of the young Levite. And they turned aside and they said to him, who brought you here and what are you doing in this place? What do you have here? And he said to them, thus and so Micah did for me, and he has hired me, and I have become his priest. 
And so they said to him, please inquire of God. Wow, spiritual men. Isn't it funny how we can be such hypocrites and yet we can put on such an air of spirituality? Oh God, you're so great. And then nobody knows but you're embezzling money from the company. Oh God, you're so wonderful. I love you so much. and My whole life is devoted to you. And nobody knows that you're, you have a mistress on the side. Oh God, you're so great. And I love you with all my heart. I'll do anything for you. And you've you got a coke problem. These things happen. So they said, please inquire of God that we may know whether the journey on which we go will be prosperous. And notice the priest just said to him, yeah, go in peace. The presence of the Lord be with you on your way. There's no mention of him praying about it. Just, you know, he's just going to please everybody. Very progressive. Oh, it's, everything's good, man. Everything's good. I'm good. Are you good? Are you feeling good? I'm good. Doing well. So the five men departed and went to Laish. They saw the people who were there and how they dwelt safely in the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and secure. There were no rulers in the land who might put them to shame for anything. They were far from the Sidonians, and they had no ties with anyone. So this is a very quiet, still place. In fact, if you, um, on the screen here, you can see up in the northern part of Israel, right on the border of Lebanon, there is a little town, a little place um, called Dan. And there's a lot of history. When we went to Israel recently, we went to this place. And so this is where Dan is going. They're going from the middle of the country, and now they're going to travel all the way north, way past, way north of the Sea of Galilee, way past the Lake Hula, which is there uh, at that time. They're going to go even further north. And there's this civilization there, a town, quiet, secure. And they go in, and they just ransack and kill everybody. And they take it as their own. And uh, it's interesting because this place is going to be a center for idolatry. And again, we're going to see, remember how we talked about these, uh, this Micah who was uh, involved in idolatry. And then now the tribe of Dan gets hooked up with him. Now that we're going to see something really interesting. And I don't want to spoil it, so let's go ahead and go on here. So then the spies, verse 8, they came back to their brethren at Zorah and Eshtaol. And that is uh, Eshtaol and Zorah, again, is the place where Samson was born. So they come back to this place and they say to their brethren, or they say to them, What is your report? You spied out the land. What would what, you see? So they said, Arise and let us go up against them, for we have seen the land, and indeed it is very good. Would you do nothing? Do not hesitate to go and enter to possess the land. And when you go, you will come to a secure people in a large land, for God has given it into your hands, a place where there is no lack of anything that is on the earth. So 600 men of the family of the Danites, they went from their place, and they went from there, from Zorah and Eshtaol, armed with weapons of war. And when they came up and encamped in Kirjath-Jerim in Judah, therefore they call that place Mahanay-Dan to this day. There it is, west of Kirjath-Jerim. You guys know where that is, right? And so, and they passed from there to the mountains of Ephraim, and they came where? To the house of Micah, this priest, this man who is completely given over to idolatry. Total compromise. He's got a, a Levite there now with him, right? So the five men who had gone to spy out the country previously of Laish, they answered and said to their brethren, Do you know that there are in these houses an ephod, household idols, a carved image, and a molded image? Now, therefore, consider what you should do. In other words, you might want to check that out and wink, wink, you know what to do. 
right? So they're going to go there and they're going to plunder this, this place, this place. So they turned aside there and they came to the house of the young Levite man, to the house of Micah, and they greeted him. And the 600 men armed with their weapons of war who were of the children of Dan, they stood by the entrance of the gate. So every, most cities had a gate where business was conducted. And so this 600-man army is outside the gate. And the, this is history, folks. This is not just an allegory. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Judges. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.